Principles of Geology, Chapter 28, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jonathan Reed. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell. Chapter 28, Part 1. Chapter 28. Earthquake in Calabria, 1783. Calabria, 1783. Of the numerous earthquakes which have occurred in different parts of the globe during the last hundred years, that of Calabria in 1783 is almost the only one of which the geologist can be said to have such a circumstantial account as to enable him fully to appreciate the changes which this cause is capable of producing in the lapse of ages. The shocks began in February 1783 and lasted for nearly four years to the end of 1786. Neither in duration nor in violence nor in the extent of territory moved was this convulsion remarkable when contrasted with many experienced in other countries both during the last and present century, nor were the alterations which it occasioned in the relative level of hill and valley, land and sea, so great as those affected by some subterranean movements in South America in later times. The importance of the earthquake in question arises from the circumstance that Calabria is the only spot hitherto visited, both during and after the convulsions, by men possessing sufficient leisure, zeal, and scientific information to enable them to collect and describe with accuracy the physical facts which throw light on geological questions. Authorities among the numerous authorities, Vivenzio, physician to the King of Naples, transmitted to the court a regular statement of his observations during the continuance of the shocks, and his narrative is drawn up with care and clearness. Francesco Antonio Grimaldi, then Secretary of War, visited the different provinces at the King's command and published a most detailed description of the permanent changes in the surface. He measured the length, breadth, and depth of the different fissures and gulfs which opened, and ascertained their number in many provinces. His comments, moreover, on the reports of the inhabitants, and his explanations of their relations, are judicious and instructive. Pignataro, a physician residing at Monteleone, a town placed in the very center of the convulsions, kept a register of the shocks, distinguishing them into four classes according to their degree of violence. From his work, it appears that in the year 1783, the number was 949, of which 501 were shocks of the first degree of force, and in the following year there were 151, of which 98 were of the first magnitude. Count Ippolito also, and many others, wrote descriptions of the earthquake, and the Royal Academy of Naples, not satisfied with these and other observations, sent a deputation from their own body into Calabria before the shocks had ceased, who were accompanied by artists instructed to illustrate by drawings the physical changes of the district and the state of ruined towns and edifices. Unfortunately, these artists were not very successful in their representations of the condition of the country, particularly when they attempted to express on a large scale the extraordinary revolutions which many of the great and minor river courses underwent. But many of the plates published by the Academy are valuable, and, as they are little known, I shall frequently avail myself of them to illustrate the facts about to be described. In addition to these Neapolitan sources of information, 
Our countryman, Sir William Hamilton, surveyed the district, not without some personal risk, before the shocks had ceased, and his sketch, published in the Philosophical Transactions, supplies many facts that would otherwise have been lost. He has explained, in a rational manner, many events which, as related in the language of some eyewitnesses, appeared marvelous and incredible. Dolomieu also examined Calabria during the catastrophe, and wrote an account of the earthquake, correcting a mistake into which Hamilton had fallen, who supposed that a part of the tract shaken had consisted of volcanic tuff. It is, indeed, a circumstance which enhances the geological interest of the commotions which so often modify the surface of Calabria, that they are confined to a country where there are neither ancient nor modern rocks of volcanic or trappian origin, so that at some future time, when the era of disturbance shall have passed by, the cause of former revolutions will be as latent as in parts of Great Britain now occupied exclusively by ancient marine formations. Extent of the Area Convulsed The convulsion of the earth, sea, and air extended over the whole of Calabria Ultra, the southeast part of Calabria Citra, and across the sea to Messina and its environs, a district lying between the 38th and 39th degrees of latitude. The concussion was perceptible over a great part of Sicily and as far north as Naples, but the surface over which the shocks acted so forcibly as to excite intense alarm did not generally exceed 500 square miles in area. The soil of that part of Calabria is composed chiefly, like the southern part of Sicily, of calcareo-argillaceous strata of great thickness containing marine shells. This clay is sometimes associated with beds of sand and limestone. For the most part, these formations resemble in appearance and consistency the sub-Apennine marls, with their accompanying sands and sandstones, and the whole group bears considerable resemblance, in the yielding nature of its materials, to most of our tertiary deposits in France and England. Chronologically considered, however, the Calabrian formations are comparatively of modern date, often abounding in fossil shells referable to species now living in the Mediterranean. We learn from Vivencio that on the 20th and 26th of March, 1783, earthquakes occurred in the islands of Zante, Cephalonia, and St. Mara, and in the last mentioned island, several public edifices and private houses were overthrown and many people destroyed. If the city of Opito in Calabria Ultra be taken as a center, and round that center a circle be described with a radius of 22 miles, this space will comprehend the surface of the country which suffered the greatest alteration, and where all the towns and villages were destroyed. The first shock of February 5, 1783, threw down in two minutes the greater part of the houses in all the cities, towns, and villages from the western flanks of the Apennines in Calabria Ultra to Messina in Sicily, and convulsed the whole surface of the country. Another occurred on the 28th of March with almost equal violence. The granitic chain, which passes through Calabria from north to south, and attains the height of many thousand feet, was shaken but slightly by the first shock, but more rudely by some which followed. Some writers have asserted that the wave-like movements which were propagated through the recent strata, from west to east, became very violent when they reached the point of junction with the granite, as if a reaction was produced where the undulatory movement of the soft strata was suddenly arrested by the more solid rocks. But the statement of Dolomieu on this subject is most interesting, and perhaps, in a geological point of view, 
the most important of all the observations which are recorded. The Apennines, he says, which consist in great part of hard and solid granite, with some micaceous and argillaceous schists, form bare mountains with steep sides, and exhibit marks of great degradation. At their base, newer strata are seen of sand and clay, mingled with shells, a marine deposit containing such ingredients as would result from the decomposition of granite. The surface of this newer tertiary formation constitutes what is called the Plain of Calabria, a platform which is flat and level except where intersected by narrow valleys or ravines, which rivers and torrents have excavated sometimes to the depth of 600 feet. The sides of these ravines are almost perpendicular, for the superior stratum, being bound together by the roots of trees, prevents the formation of a sloping bank. The usual effect of the earthquake, he continues, was to disconnect all those masses which either had not sufficient bases for their bulk, or which was supported only by lateral adherence. Hence, it follows that throughout almost the whole length of the chain, the soil which adhered to the granite at the base of the mountains Kaulana, Aesop, Sagra, and Aspromonte slid over the solid and steeply inclined nucleus, and descended somewhat lower, leaving almost interruptedly from St. George to beyond St. Christina, a distance of from 9 to 10 miles, a chasm between the solid granitic nucleus and the sandy soil. Many lands slipping thus were carried to a considerable distance from their former position, so as entirely to cover others, and disputes arose as to whom the property which had thus shifted its place should belong. From this account of Dolomieu, we might anticipate, as the result of a continuance of such earthquakes, first a longitudinal valley following the line of junction of the older and newer rocks, secondly, greater disturbance in the newer strata near the point of contact than at a greater distance from the mountains, phenomena very common in other parts of Italy at the junction of the Apennine and sub-Apennine formations. Mr. Mallet, in his valuable essay on the dynamics of earthquakes, offers the following explanation of the fact to which Dolomieu has called attention. When a wave of elastic compression, of which he considers the earth wave to consist, passes abruptly from a body having an extremely low elasticity, such as clay and gravel, into another, like granite, whose elasticity is remarkably high, it changes not only its velocity, but in part also its course, a portion being reflected and a portion refracted. The wave being thus sent back again produces a shock in the opposite direction, doing great damage to buildings on the surface by thus returning upon itself. At the same time, the shocks are at once eased when they get into the more elastic materials of the granitic mountains. The surface of the country during the Calabrian earthquakes often heaved like the billows of a swelling sea, which produced a swimming in the head like seasickness. It is particularly stated in almost all of the accounts that just before each shock the clouds appeared motionless, and although no explanation is offered of this phenomenon, it is obviously the same as that observed in a ship at sea when it pitches violently. The clouds seem arrested in their career as often as the vessel rises in a direction contrary to their course, so that the Calabrians must have experienced precisely the same motion on the land. Trees supported by their trunks sometimes bent during the shocks to the earth, and touched it with their tops. This is mentioned as a well-known fact by Dolomieu, and he assures us that he was always on his guard against the spirit of exaggeration in which the vulgar are ever ready to indulge when relating these wonderful occurrences.
It is impossible to suppose that these waves, which are described in Italy and other regions of earthquakes as passing along the solid surface of the earth in a given direction, like a billow on the sea, have any strict analogy with the undulations of a fluid. They are doubtless the effects of vibrations radiating from some deep-seated point, each of which, on reaching the surface, lifts up the ground and then allows it again to subside as the distance between the source of the subterranean movement and the surface must vary according to the outline of the country, so the vibratory jar will reach different points in succession. The academicians relate that in some of the cities of Calabria, effects were produced seeming to indicate a whirling or vorticose movement. Thus, for example, two obelisks placed at the extremities of a magnificent facade in the convent of San Bruno, in a small town called Stefano del Bosco, were observed to have undergone a movement of a singular kind. The shock which agitated the building is described as having been horizontal and vorticous. The pedestal of each obelisk remained in its original place, but the separate stones above were turned partially round and removed sometimes nine inches from their position without falling. It has been suggested by Mr. Darwin that this kind of displacement may be due to a vibratory rather than a whirling motion, and more lately, Mr. Mallet, in the paper already cited, has offered a very ingenious solution of the problem. He refers the twisting simply to an elastic wave, which has moved the pedestal forwards and back again by an alternate horizontal motion within narrow limits, and he has succeeded in showing that a rectilinear movement in the ground may have sufficed to cause an incumbent body to turn partially round upon its bed provided a certain relation exists between the position of the center of gravity of the body and its center of adherence. I shall now consider, in the first place, that class of physical changes produced by the earthquake which are connected with alterations in the relative level of the different parts of the land, and afterwards describe those which are more immediately connected with the derangement of the regular drainage of the country, and where the force of running water cooperated with that of the earthquake. Difficulty of ascertaining changes of level. In regard to alterations of relative level, none of the accounts establish that they were on a considerable scale, but it must always be remembered that in proportion to the area moved is the difficulty of proving that the general level has undergone any change, unless the sea coast happens to have participated in the principal movement. Even then, it is often impossible to determine whether an elevation or depression, even of several feet, has occurred, because there is nothing to attract notice in a band of shingle and sand of unequal breadth above the level of the sea running parallel to a coast, such bands generally marking the point reached by the waves during spring tides or the most violent tempests. The scientific investigator has not sufficient topographical knowledge to discover whether the extent of beach has diminished or increased, and he who has the necessary local information scarcely ever feels any interest in ascertaining the amount of the rise or fall of the ground. Add to this the great difficulty of making correct observations in consequence of the enormous waves which roll in upon a coast during an earthquake and efface every landmark near the shore. Subsidence of the Key at Messina it is evidently in seaports alone that we can look for very accurate indications of slight changes of level, and when we find them, we may presume that they would not be rare at other points, if equal facilities of comparing relative altitudes were afforded. Grimaldi states, and his account is confirmed by Hamilton and others, that at Messina in Sicily the shore was rent, and the soil along the port, 
which before the shock was perfectly level, was found afterwards to be inclined towards the sea, the sea itself near the Banchina becoming deeper, and its bottom in several places disordered. The key also sunk down about 14 inches below the level of the sea, and the houses in its vicinity were much fissured. Among various proofs of partial elevation and depression in the interior, the academicians mention in their survey that the ground was sometimes on the same level on both sides of new ravines and fissures, but sometimes there had been a considerable shifting, either by the upheaving of one side or the subsidence of the other. Thus, on the sides of long rents in the territory of Soriano, the stratified masses had altered their relative position to the extent of from eight to fourteen palms, six to ten and a half feet. Polistena Similar shifts in the strata are alluded to in the territory of Polistena, where there appeared innumerable fissures in the earth. One of these was of great length and depth, and in parts, the level of the corresponding sides was greatly changed. Terra Nuova In the town of Terra Nuova, some houses were seen uplifted above the common level, and others adjoining sunk down into the earth. In several streets the soil appeared thrust up, and abutted against the walls of houses. A large circular tower of solid masonry, part of which had withstood the general destruction, was divided by a vertical rent, and one side was upraised, and the foundations heaved out of the ground. It was compared by the academicians to a great tooth half extracted from the alveolus, with the upper part of the fangs exposed. Along the line of this shift or fault, as it would be termed technically by miners, the walls were found to adhere firmly to each other, and to fit so well that the only signs of their having been disunited was the want of correspondence in the courses of stone on either side of the rent. Dolomieu saw a stone well in the convent of the Augustans at Terranova, which had the appearance of having been driven out of the earth. It resembled a small tower, eight or nine feet in height, and a little inclined. This effect, he says, was produced by the consolidation and consequent sinking of the sandy soil in which the well was dug. In some walls which had been thrown down or violently shaken in Monteleone, the separate stones were parted from the mortar so as to leave an exact mold where they had rested, whereas in other cases the mortar was ground to dust between the stones. It appears that the wave-like motions often produced effects of the most capricious kind. Thus, in some streets of Monteleone, every house was thrown down but one, in others all but two, and the buildings which were spared were often scarcely in the least degree injured. In many cities of Calabria, all the most solid buildings were thrown down, while those which were slightly built escaped. But at Rosarno, as also at Messina in Sicily, it was precisely the reverse, the massive edifices being the only ones that stood. Fissures It appears evident that a great part of the rending and fissuring of the ground was the effect of a violent motion from below upwards, and in a multitude of cases where the rents and chasms opened and closed alternately, we must suppose that the earth was by turns heaved up and then let fall again. We may conceive the same effect to be produced on a small scale if by some mechanical force a pavement composed of large flags of stone should be raised up and then allowed to fall suddenly so as to resume its original position. If any small pebbles happened to be lying on the line of contact of two flags, they would fall into the opening when the pavement rose and be swallowed up so that no trace of them would appear after the subsidence of the stones. 
In the same manner, when the earth was upheaved, large houses, trees, cattle, and men were engulfed in an instant in chasms and fissures. And when the ground sank down again, the earth closed upon them, so that no vestige of them was discoverable on the surface. In many instances, individuals were swallowed up by one shock, and then thrown out again alive, together with large jets of water, by the shock which immediately succeeded. At Gerocarne, a country which, according to the academicians, was lacerated in a most extraordinary manner, the fissures ran in every direction, like cracks on a broken plane of glass. And as a great portion of them remained open after the shocks, it is very possible that this country was permanently upraised. It was usual, as we learn from Dolomieu, for the chasms and fissures throughout Calabria to run parallel to the course of some pre-existing gorges in their neighborhood. Houses engulfed. In the vicinity of Opito, the central point from which the earthquake diffused its violent movements, many houses were swallowed up by the yawning earth, which closed immediately over them. In the adjacent district also of Canna Maria, four farmhouses, several oil stores, and some spacious dwelling houses were so completely engulfed in one chasm that not a vestige of them was afterwards discernible. The same phenomena occurred at Terra Nuova, Santa Cristina, and Sinopoli. The academicians state particularly that when deep abysses had opened in the argillaceous strata of Terra Nuova and houses had sunk into them, the sides of the chasms closed with such violence that on excavating afterwards to recover articles of value, the workmen found the contents and detached parts of the buildings jammed together so as to become one compact mass. It is unnecessary to accumulate examples of similar occurrences, but so many are well authenticated during this earthquake in Calabria that we may, without hesitation, yield assent to the accounts of catastrophes of the same kind repeated again and again in history, where whole towns are declared to have been engulfed, and nothing but a pool of water or tract of sand left in their place. Chasm formed near Opido. On the sloping side of a hill near Opido, a great chasm opened, and although a large quantity of soil was precipitated into the abyss, together with a considerable number of olive trees and part of a vineyard, a great gulf remained after the shock, in the form of an amphitheater, 500 feet long and 200 feet deep. Dimensions of New Fissures and Chasms According to Grimaldi, many fissures and chasms, formed by the first shock of February 5th, were greatly widened, lengthened, and deepened by the violent convulsions of March 28th. In the territory of San Fili, this observer found a new ravine, half a mile in length, two feet and a half broad, and 25 feet deep, and another of similar dimensions in the territory of Rosarno. A ravine nearly a mile long, 105 feet broad, and 30 feet deep opened in the district of Plaisano, where also two gulfs were caused, one in a place called Churchule, three quarters of a mile long, 150 feet broad, and above 100 feet deep, and another at La Fortuna, nearly a quarter of a mile long, above 30 feet in breadth, and no less than 225 feet deep. In the district of Fosolano, three gulfs opened. One of these measured 300 feet square and above 30 feet deep. Another was nearly half a mile long, 15 feet broad, and above 30 feet deep. The third was 750 feet square. Lastly, a calcareous mountain called Zephyrio, 
at the southern extremity of the Italian peninsula, was cleft in two for the length of nearly half a mile and an irregular breadth of many feet. Some of these chasms were in the form of a crescent. The annexed cut represents one by no means remarkable for its dimensions, which remained open by the side of a small pass over the hill of Sant'Angelo, near Soriano. The small river Mesima is seen in the foreground. Formation of Circular Hollows and New Lakes In the report of the Academy, we find that some plains were covered with circular hollows, for the most part about the size of carriage wheels, but often somewhat larger or smaller. When filled with water to within a foot or two of the surface, they appeared like wells, but in general they were filled with dry sand, sometimes with a concave surface, and at other times convex. On digging down, they found them to be funnel-shaped, and the moist, loose sand in the center marked the tube up which the water spouted. The annexed cut represents a section of one of these inverted cones when the water had disappeared, and nothing but dry, micaceous sand remained. A small circular pond of similar character was formed not far from Polistena, and in the vicinity of Seminara, a lake was suddenly caused by the opening of a great chasm, from the bottom of which water issued. This lake was called Lago del Tofilo. It extended 1,785 feet in length by 937 in breadth and 52 in depth. The inhabitants, dreading the miasma of this stagnant pool, endeavored at great cost to drain it by canals, but without success as it was fed by springs issuing from the bottom of the deep chasm. Vivenzio states that near Sidizzano, a valley was nearly filled up to a level with the high grounds on each side by the enormous masses detached from the boundary hills and cast down into the course of two streams. By this barrier, a lake was formed of great depth, about two miles long and a mile broad. The same author mentions that upon the whole, there were 50 lakes occasioned during the convulsions, and he assigns localities to all of these. The government surveyors enumerated 215 lakes, but they included in this number many small ponds. Cones of sand thrown up. Many of the appearances exhibited in the alluvial plains, such as springs spouting up their water like fountains at the moment of the shock, have been supposed to indicate the alternate rising and sinking of the ground. The first effect of the more violent shocks was usually to dry up the rivers, but they immediately afterwards overflowed their banks. In marshy places, an immense number of cones of sand were thrown up. These appearances, Hamilton explains, by supposing that the first movement raised the fissured plain from below upwards so that the rivers and stagnant waters and bogs sank down, or at least were not upraised with the soil. But when the ground returned with violence to its former position, the water was thrown up in jets through fissures. The phenomenon, according to Mr. Mallet, may be simply an accident contingent on the principal cause of disturbance, the rapid transit of the earth wave. The sources, he says, of copious springs usually lie in flat plates or fissures filled with water, whether issuing from solid rock or from loose materials. Now, if a vein or thin flat cavity filled with water be in such a position that the plane of the plate of water or fissure be transverse to the line of transit in the earth wave, the effect of the arrival of the earth wave at the watery fissure will be, at the instant, to compress its walls more or less together and so squeeze out the water, which will, for a moment, gush up at the spring head like a fountain, and again remain in repose after the transit of the wave. 
gradual closing in of fissures. Sir W. Hamilton was shown several deep fissures in the vicinity of Melito, which, although not one of them was above a foot in breadth, had opened so wide during the earthquake as to swallow an ox and nearly 100 goats. The academicians also found, on their return through districts which they had passed at the commencement of their tour, that many rents had, in that short interval, gradually closed in, so that their width had diminished several feet, and the opposite walls had sometimes nearly met. It is natural that this should happen in argillaceous strata, while in more solid rocks, we may expect that fissures will remain open for ages. Should this be ascertained to be a general fact in countries convulsed by earthquakes, it may afford a satisfactory explanation of a common phenomenon in mineral veins. Such veins often retain their full size so long as the rocks consist of limestone, granite, or other indurated materials. But they contract their dimensions, become mere threads, or are even entirely cut off, where masses of an argillaceous nature are interposed. If we suppose the filling up of fissures with metallic and other ingredients to be a process requiring ages for its completion, it is obvious that the opposite walls of rents, where strata consist of yielding materials, must collapse or approach very near to each other before sufficient time is allowed for the accretion of a large quantity of veinstone. End of chapter 28, part 1. Recording by Jonathan Reed.